What do you live for? What are you going to leave behind? Two great questions. What do you live for? And what are you going to leave behind? And I would add that for us. How do we answer that question as followers of Christ? We ask and answer this question a lot. What difference does it make that you're a Christian? If you know you confess Christ as your Savior, you follow Christ as your Lord, what difference does that make in your life? And what difference does it make in the way that you would answer those questions? Uh, what do I live for? And what am I going to leave behind? A lady in Oklahoma, Diane Sweeney, had an interesting answer to that question, an answer that was shaped by her Christian faith. Uh, in early 2022, uh, Diane was having a conversation with her nephew. Now, Diane never had any children. She didn't marry. Uh, her nieces and nephews were her extended family. And she was having a conversation about her death and what she would like to happen at her funeral should that time come or when that time would come. And she said that she wanted to do something a little unusual and interesting at her funeral. She wanted there to be a drawing for her most prized possession. No matter who was there, Anybody could participate in the drawing, and she, she wanted everyone who was there to know, and even people to come to the funeral because of this, she was going to give away her most prized possession as the last thing she did on earth, and the most generous act coming right out of her Christian faith, her 2016 Volkswagen Beetle. Word got out that this would happen. Because she died three weeks later, very unexpectedly, three weeks after that conversation, Diane passed away. Word got out, the news picked it up, they broadcast the news across Oklahoma. A young 16-year-old named Gabrielle saw it on the news and turned to her family and said, wouldn't it be funny if we went to that funeral and put our names in for the drawing and one of us actually won? And someone said, well, why don't we do that? So they saddled up and drove 30 miles to a funeral for a woman they had never heard of or ne and never met until they saw this information on the news. When they got there, the auditorium was crowded with people who were there for the same reason. And she put her name in. Gabrielle put her name in for the drawing for the 2016 Volkswagen Beetle. And then they, they were there for the funeral. And here's what Gabrielle said later. She said, I was so moved by the life of this woman that I had never met. Her life was, was talked about in ways that I can only hope my life is talked about. Her life impacted people in ways I can only hope mine. Even the slideshow, Gabrielle said, even the slideshow was moving, and I had never met this woman. But that funeral, she said, made a tremendous impression on me because of the way she lived her life, and I could not help but leave that place thinking, I wonder what they're going to say about me. When my time comes. Well, it's not hard to guess the end of the story. Gabrielle won. To her shock and dismay and her joy and her outstanding gratitude to Diane, a woman she'd never met, but whose life now and generosity because of her Christian faith, she appreciated Diane and she appreciated what she had done. It took, took Gabrielle a year to get it because they had to go through probate, but hey, even so, she won. Diane's most prized possession went to someone she had never met. What are you living for? What will you leave behind? And what difference does it make that you're a Christian in how you answer those questions? What difference does it make?
Go back with me to the letter of 1 Peter, this time chapter 4. We're going to start reading in a minute. And chapter 4 and verse 1, just hold your place there for a moment. Uh, before we move forward, I want to remind you of a couple of things about Peter's audience in the first century. And that audience are, you know, unlike today, people of the first century didn't have the benefit of growing up in a Christian church, going to vacation Bible school, having Sunday school. These are people, he's writing to people who were saved out of very unreligious or even pagan environments. They were worshiping pagan gods. They had a multitude of idols in their homes to represent every god conceivable so they didn't make anybody angry and they tried to curry favor with all the gods. Much of their worship and the participation in worship included acts of sexuality that would make anybody blush. And they came to faith in Christ out of that environment. One of the first things they would have done is gotten rid of all those household idols. They knew right away they worshipped Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Then as you'll recall, he's writing to them because uh, of a persecution that ran them out of their own homes. They had to flee to an area called Asia Minor. That's where they've landed. That's who he's writing to. And they're trying to work through the questions of suffering and sorrow. And is this what it means to be a Christian? Because again, nobody lived through it before the first century. And now they're finding out this is what it means to be a Christian. He's going to pick up from the passage we looked at last week. And you'll recall, last week he pulled back the veil, the cosmic drama, and he reminded us of Christ's suffering that led to victory over sin and death. Christ rose from the grave. He ascended to the Father. He now is at the right hand of God. And it's because of him, his suffering, that we too can be saved and enjoy eternal life in Christ and be raised from the grave. And also because Christ suffered, we now know how to suffer. We know what suffering is. And we know that in Christ, if we suffer for Christ, that suffering leads to victory, just like it did for Jesus Christ. So Peter has unpacked that cosmic drama. Now he returns to the practicality of the moment, the practical issues that apply to Christians who suffer. And this morning, and what we're going to read, he's going to direct our attention to a, to a primary consideration of how we live our lives. That how we understand suffering has much to do with how we understand our lives in the first place and, and answer that question, what are we living for? He's going to tell you this morning how to answer that question or how, as a, as a follower of Christ, we should be answering that question. Look there with me in 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, and start reading at verse 1. Therefore, that is to say, since I've said everything I've said about Jesus Christ, his suffering, and his victory, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been, made, uh, been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. Let me pause there. Uh, for Peter, the term Gentiles refers, refers to non-Christians, those who are not following Christ. Verse 4, they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, 
so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the Spirit according to God's standards. Peter again invokes the previous discussion, and then he picks up from there. Therefore, since everything I've said about Christ, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, that is, in his body for you, and God raised him from the grave, since he suffered in the flesh for you, here's what that should mean to you. Peter says, arm yourselves also with the same understanding. Uh, the word translated arm is a, not surprisingly, a military term. It means take up this, this weapon. Arm yourself with this for offense and for defense. It doesn't matter. This is your weapon. What is it? The same understanding. Now, the term translated understanding refers to attitude or perspective. In other words, now, knowing what you know about Christ, when you think of your own suffering in this life, think about suffering the way Christ thought about suffering. Take up his attitude, his perspective. And what was his perspective? Did you catch it? This was Christ's perspective. To live for the will of God. Pretty simple. To live for the will of God. Take up that perspective to live for the will of God. Uh, undergirding Peter's whole letter is the idea that we are running out of time. In fact, seven occasions in this letter, he mentions time. He talks about not wasting time. He talks about time running out. He talks about the time is near. And here in this passage, twice he focuses on that one issue. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it in sin. Don't waste it doing anything but living for God's will. Take up this attitude that Christ had. In the short 33 years he had on planet earth, he lived for God's will. That should be your attitude. That should be my attitude. That should be our perspective. And everything we do, everything we think, every decision we make should be judged and interpreted according to that attitude. What am I doing here? What am I living for? What am I leaving behind? I live for God's will. Another way to put that is I live for Christ, but it's the same thing. According to Peter, I live for God's will. And he tells believers in Christ in the first century, just like he's telling us in the 21st century, that's a decision you have to make. A decision that will shape everything you believe, everything you do, every action you take, every decision you make, and especially the way you understand and have a perspective on suffering in this life. You have decided, I will live for God's will. It's also clear that the, the, the alternative would be what? To live for your own will. Uh, those are your options. To live for yourself, to live for Christ. And it's actually sad, I think, that he has to remind us as believers in Christ, that's a decision we have to make. Because the truth is, siblings in Christ, we drift constantly into living for our own will. And then we get, we get confused, and we wonder, what am I doing here? What am I going to leave behind? What impact am I making? Why are these things happening in my life? How do I understand suffering in my life? Well, if the starting point is I live for my will, I live for what I want to do, then, then we are going to be confused. But if the starting point is a decision we've made, my attitude is I live for the will of God, then we will understand our suffering, we will understand our lives, we'll make our decisions in the same way Jesus did. And we'll learn how to do that. So here's a question we want to ask this morning. How do you know if that's the attitude you have? 
How do you know if your attitude is, I, I live for the will of God, or if your attitude is, I'm living for my own will, and I'll ask God to help out now and then if I need it? How do you know which it is? Well, Peter gives us some insight into that. Let's go back to the text. And Peter shows us that you can know if you have that perspective, that attitude. It shows in your other attitudes if you live for the will of God. First of all, it'll show in your attitude towards sin. Your attitude towards sin. Uh, Peter's first point is that if you have died with Christ on the cross, he took your sins to the cross, then you are finished with sin. The person who has died to sin in the flesh is finished with sin. You're done with sin. But you take up that attitude. Your attitude towards sin is, I'm finished with that. Uh, I might be tempted to sin, but I don't do that anymore. I don't go back to that old life. I don't do that anymore. Now remember, he's talking to a particular kind, a particular group of Christians. Those Christians saved as adults out of a particular mindset, a particular way of life a way of life that was highly sexualized in their culture. And he says, you say to your friends and neighbors, I'm finished with that. That's how you know you've decided to live for the will of God instead of to live for self-gratification or for your own will. You say, I'm finished with that. Look at verse 3. And he's talk, remember, he's talking to believers. And he says, you can almost hear him pointing a finger. See him pointing. For there has already been enough time spent. You've already wasted enough time doing what the Gentiles, the unsaved people, choose to do. He characterizes it as carrying on an unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. Uh, simply put, that highly sexualized behavior is representative of a, of a life of sin. And he says to the believer, you've already wasted enough of your life doing that. That was your old life. You're finished with that. Uh, the phrase translated carrying on uh, refers to pursuit or trajectory. It's not just one-time events in sin. It's not, it, it represents a whole trajectory of life. That's the direction they're going in their lives, and the direction just gets more and more into sin. You, you remember we read a moment ago that flood of sin refers to excessive behavior in sin. The funny thing about sin is it's always progressive. The more you do it, the more you'll do it. And typically, the worse it becomes. It draws you in, you, 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 you succumb to a temptation, then the next temptation is a little more graphic, a little more difficult, and on and on and on it goes until it owns you, the Bible teaches. Peter says, in Christ, you have changed the trajectory of your choices, the trajectory of your life. Rather than chasing self-gratification and sin and wasting time on that, you are now fulfilling your time in Christ by pursuing the will of God. Big difference. And I, and I would offer that many of us probably never really thought about it. If you were saved as an adult, do you, do you, do you, have you ever thought about the fact how much time you wasted in sin and temptation and falling, how much time you wasted in self-gratification? It amounts to nothing. might have made you feel good for a moment. But when you come to Christ and you decide, you have that attitude, the same attitude Christ had towards sin, 
I'm going to live for the will of God. You start investing in life. You start investing in the things of God. You start living for the things of God, not wasting your time any longer. And the beautiful thing about what the Bible teaches is it doesn't matter what age you are when you come to Christ. You can still make that decision. If God gives you a year, 30, 40, 50 years, that's how much time you have to invest in the will of God. Never leave this place thinking, I'm out of time to serve Christ. No, you're not. You've got today. You've got tomorrow if God gives it to you, if he gives it to me. And what matters is I serve Christ now. I make that decision to serve him now. We already heard it from Miss Jane this morning. Time is precious. It's a precious commodity. You can make more money. You can get another job. If you spend that money, it's quite likely you can earn that money back. Time? No. Once it's gone, it's gone. So Peter underscores it. You wasted enough already on living that way. Don't do that. Invest your life in the things of God. So first it shows in your attitude towards sin. That is, I'm finished with that. I'm finished with that. Leaving that behind. Then secondly, it shows in your attitude towards suffering. Because as Peter points out, if your way of life, as it was his, his first readers, if you had friends and acquaintances and you built that way of life together, they're not going to be very happy with you when you turn to them and say, I'm finished living that way. I'm finished wasting my time on self-gratification and on my own will and doing these things with you guys. I'm not doing that anymore. Peter says they will be surprised. Uh, the, the word translated surprised means something like it will have a cognitive impact on them. In other words, it will blow their minds. It will blow their minds when you, who used to participate in sin with them, wake up one day, they call, they text, you say no, they, get, they say, why are you not going out with us tonight? I'm finished with that. I'm finished with that. I, I, I follow Christ. I'm investing my life, not wasting my life. And should you think in that moment, they will say, wow, good for you. Peter says, don't expect that. Instead, as the rest of the New Testament teaches, you can expect to suffer for your faith. You can expect to suffer for your faith. Believers, our attitude towards suffering should be, we don't pursue it, we don't look for it, but if we're living for Christ, we can expect it. As Peter has said throughout this letter, if you are living for Christ, you're doing good things. You're doing what's right. They can't take those good things and try to make them sound evil. So if they're going to come against you and you're going to suffer for following Christ, let it be for following Christ. Let there be no ambivalence about it. Don't equivocate when they ask you, why are you finished with that behavior? Why are you finished with following your own will? Let them know. You don't have to be brash. You don't have to be unkind. You don't have to smack them with a the Bible. Just let them know. I follow Christ. And I have chosen to live for the will of God. They won't be happy, Peter says. In fact, he says they may very well slander you. The term means they will malign you. And you know what it translates? It translates the word in the Bible that means blaspheme. 
We know we're not supposed to blaspheme God. We know that's a bad thing. Did you know people may blaspheme you? They may run down your character. They may say things about you that are true, that are not true. They may malign you, and they will probably do it on social media just because you choose to follow the will of God. We live in a hostile culture, and that kind of attitude is growing more and more for those of us who have a Christ-like attitude toward suffering, we can expect to suffer. And one of the ways we will suffer is we will be maligned. At the very least, you'll be criticized, and even more, you may be ostracized. Those friends who used to call you, used to count on, they don't call you anymore. They don't text you anymore. They don't invite you anymore. And if they do, sometimes it's just to make fun of you, just to ridicule you. Peter says, understand that will happen. But why does that happen? You know why that happens? Because you represent Christ now in their lives. It's not you they're mad at. It's Jesus they don't like. Because the same thing you realize Christ is impressing on them. They are sinners in need of a Savior. And there's just no way around it. So make that decision and ask yourself, is my attitude the attitude of a person that lives for the will of God? And if it is, does it show in my attitude towards sin and in my attitude towards suffering? I don't pursue suffering. I don't look for it. But I know it may happen in some form. And it may happen when people turn their back on me, ridicule me, make fun of me because I stand for Christ. I understand that will happen. And that leads us to the third attitude, Peter points out. Your attitude toward judgment. Your attitude toward judgment. See, Peter says, believer in Christ, always remember that we will stand before the judgment seat of our Creator. He who has created all human beings will hold all human beings accountable for their relationship with Him. You and I... If we're followers of Christ, we will stand before Christ and give an account for what we have done for him, for how we have served him. Our sin is washed clean by the blood of the Savior. We are covered by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. But that person who maligns you, that person who refuses Christ, that person who makes fun of you and, 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 and because of them you suffer, maybe you lose a job, maybe you're ostracized, maybe you're pressed by a relative who makes fun of you every Thanksgiving that person also will stand before God and give an account, Peter says. And they will give an account for that trajectory of their lives, for their refusal to follow Christ, and for the way they wasted time that God so preciously gave them. The term account for means give a review of. Wow. It means... They will stand before God and they'll give a review of how they behaved, how they used the precious life he gave them. And life is precious, isn't it? It is precious. It goes fast. So Peter says when you are struggling, you're suffering, and you want that attitude that Christ had, you you put yourself there. I will do the will of God. I will follow and live for the will of God. 
your attitude toward judgment should be, it's, it's going to happen. And it's coming. And we're not, we're not gleeful that people without Christ will stand before God and give an account of their lives and be judged for their sin. We're not gleeful about that. But we know that God sees what's happening to us. We know that a day of judgment is coming. We know that God is in control of all these things. Probably not a big surprise that since COVID, the number of Americans who believe we're headed toward Judgment Day has risen dramatically. I don't know what it is right now with events in the world, but just last year, 40% of Americans believed we were headed toward Judgment Day. Of those 40% of Americans, 63% were Bible-believing Christians. Probably a lot more now. If you look out on the events of the world, how can we not look out on the events of the world and think, wow, we are running out of time. And some naysayers, there are some skeptics who say, ah, oh, you know, everybody always says that. When there's, a, when there's a dramatic event in the world, when there's a, a, a crisis like COVID, everybody says, oh, you know, we're about to experience the judgment. We're about, about to run out of time. Uh, but it misses the point in a couple of ways. One is that the Bible teaches that the events of the end times are progressive that bad events will get worse and be repeated, and bad events will get worse and be repeated until finally the pressure of those events is such that God says he's closing the door on history and Christ will return. And Christ will return at, at any time that the Father decides and chooses. Christ will return. So the real question is, how am I living my life right now? Knowing that judgment is coming is not about when the end of the world will come. It's about how you're living for Christ right now and how that unbeliever is dismissing and rejecting Christ right now. That's what matters. Believers, we live in light of the fact that God is in charge of history and he's going to wrap it up one day. And when that time comes, you and I will learn more than we ever have before how much God knows has been happening in our lives. And if, if your life includes suffering, you will see that God knows that. You will see that God's been taking care of you. You will see that God judges evil. And he knows what's happening in your life. If you have an attitude that you want to follow the will of God, make sure that attitude shows in your attitude towards sin. I'm finished with it. Done with that. Stop wasting my time. I'm going to live for Christ. It shows in your attitude towards suffering. I don't pursue it. I don't look for it. But I'm going to live for Christ. And if it finds me, I will still live for Christ. That's what I do. And it shows in your attitude toward judgment. I know one day God will hold us accountable for how we've lived our life for him. This precious time he's given us on earth. He will hold us accountable. And I look forward to the day that I stand before him, and with grace and love in Jesus Christ, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Gene Christ is a writer. She wrote a little piece for Christian Reader a long time ago. And she went to a Christian college. And she said on the Christian college, every Monday morning, the students would have to gather in the, uh, in the auditorium, and the president would give his his remarks for the week and the day and, and get them launched out in, into the week. 
And she said that was okay, but the problem was he was as droll and boring as you could imagine. And she said they would sit down and they'd sort of clench and then they would, they would, their minds would go numb as he drolled on and on. And their eyes would be open, or at least they tried to keep them open so they could be looking at him. But their brains and their minds were somewhere else and they were just waiting for this thing to wrap up. And they said they knew that the end would come because he always finished with the same words. He always said, now let us stand. So their minds would click back in gear, sort of like Pavlov's dog. As soon as he said those words, they would wake up and they would all stand and they would all pray and they would all be dismissed until the next Monday. And this particular Monday morning, they all gathered in there. He had started talking. That monotone voice, that droll had begun. And they were tuning out their minds, but keeping their eyes open and doing their best to look like they were engaged. And all of a sudden, he said, and let us stand. And they all just stood. And there he stood at the podium staring at them. And that's when they all realized he hadn't said Let's all stand. He had said, and will we stand at the judgment? It helps to be paying attention, doesn't it? Believers in Christ, are you paying attention? You only have so much time to serve him. The Bible says we have one life to live, and then comes the judgment. There's not a do-over, not a second chance. But by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we know what he wants of us. It's no secret. It's no secret. He wants us to say, I'm finished with that old life. Dead and buried, gone. I've risen to new life in Christ. Now I live for the will of God. And if I, if I leave this life in abject poverty, if I were to leave this life with no material possessions, what would I leave behind? I would leave behind my influence for Christ. I would leave behind the fact that I have not wasted my time. I had invested it in people who needed Christ. As Peter closed that section we just read, when he was talking about judgment, he rounded it out by saying, and we preach the gospel. He said, this is why we preach the gospel. To people who are now dead, but also alive, to God in Jesus Christ. That's what he means. He's talking about people they preach to in their generation already who trusted Christ, who heard the gospel and were now ready for judgment and were ready to meet their Savior when that time came. Let that be us. So believers in Christ, here's my question for you. Simple, isn't it? Are you wasting your time? You're wasting your time if you're not living it for Christ. So are you wasting your time? Are you living for yourself, your own self-gratification? And is God showing you that? Or do you need to get with God and say, God, I, I don't know. I mean, I, am I wasting my time? And if he's showing it to you, then you need to ask his forgiveness. It's time to start over. Wonderful thing about the grace of God. Ask his forgiveness and start over with him today. But if I'm asking you that question, you already know the answer in your heart of hearts. You're living for yourself and not for him. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior in this room or you're at home. I want to offer this today. Come to Christ. Don't waste your life. The life your creator gave you can be redeemed, restored, resurrected in Jesus Christ to make an eternal impact. Don't waste it in this world. Don't waste it on, on self-gratification. 
come to Christ and be saved and start that trajectory that he has for you. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, how we praise you and thank you for the life you've given us in Christ. Father, thank you for this reminder, Father, that as believers in Christ, we make a choice. Choose to live for your will or choose to live for ours. Even sometimes those of us who are saved can forget the difference. And if you're showing that to us today, God, I pray we would turn that around today by asking your forgiveness, by leaving this place with the intention of living for the will of God and not wasting our time. But God, there may be someone in this room or at home that's never given their lives to Christ, never come to faith in Christ, to be saved, to be restored, to be redeemed. And I pray today would be the day they would give their lives to Christ. So Father, now as we come to a time of response, I pray for us, Father, we respond as you're calling us to respond. Maybe it's to come to the altar and pray. Maybe it's to make a fresh decision for Christ. Maybe it's to pray right where we are. Maybe it's to give our lives to Christ for the first time today. But I pray today, God, would be that day. Everything changes for us. The trajectory of our lives change. And we stop wasting time on things that don't matter. Wasting time on temptation and sin. And start living for Christ today. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.